Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So a few summers ago, I'm going through a breakup. And as one does, I'm real hot and heavy in my Instagram, you know, posting cute pictures, making sure my stories are real flossy. I've seen them. True Scorpio never rests. (laughs) And I notice a new face popping up. This person's looking at all my stories. She's liking all my photos. And sure enough, before long, I get a DM. It's like, hey, you know, I really like your work. And she basically said, look, if you're ever open to it, um, I'd love to take you for a drink. Now, I am not someone who responds well to this kind of interaction. Like, I don't know you. Mm, I don't know you. I don't want to know you. You know what I mean? But we had mutuals in common, and I reached out to one of them, and it was just like, what do you know about this person? They were like, oh, they're incredible, like super hands down, stand-up human. I was like, great. A few weeks later, I was in L.A., they were in L.A., and we ended up having a drink, and it was really, really easy. And I was like, maybe this is our modern love story. Who knows? We ended up going out to dinner. During the course of the dinner, I started to realize that this person, I think, was more interested in Jenny Deluxe, which is my internet handle, has been for a long time, than me, the human, Jenna Wortham. And I have a very, very, very sensitive radar for this kind of thing. Having been in the biz now for 10 years, 10 plus years, I really trust my intuition when intuition starts to tell me, like, they're obsessed with your projection, not you. So what happened? Well, duh, she put a ring on it and we moved upstate. We renovated a farmhouse. I've got a couple of kids and one on the way and a dog named Sir Carter Carter. Oh, Obviously, man. I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank the Lord. I did have a, I mean, you brought me in there real close, though. I was like, wait, what? I mean, look, Wesley, I have nothing against finding a crush via social media and getting to know them online first. But it just started to feel kind of weird that this person was so intimate with my life before they were intimate with my life. Mm. I don't want to go on a date with somebody who knows what's on my bookshelf before they've been in my house to actually see what's on my bookshelf. Listen, I hear that. I don't like it when people even tell me they Googled me. Oh, that's a red flag. No one should ever tell anybody that. Oh, wait, that's worse than what you're telling me? Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. But it's weird when you start to get a sense that someone's really turned on by your follower account or who your friends are or who they think your friends are. And all of that's a self that I've constructed also. And I'm deeply aware of that. Like, my online persona is not me. I very much treat who I am online as an avatar that interacts with other people's avatars. And it is a projection. And I'm building that on purpose, right? It's my fantasy of myself. It's Mm. the fantasy that I'm using to promote my work and myself. Like, that's just real. And so if I start to feel like that's the self that you're interested in, mission control, we have a problem. But this is a thing that always happens, right? Like, people project. People have some idea of who you are. Totally. I mean, whether it's seeing you on Instagram or just, like, seeing you in the cafeteria at school or the workplace. Mm. 
So, I mean, I just think that that is a natural outgrowth, especially if it's happening to you on Instagram, of let's just call it the love industrial complex. Oh, yes, yes. Right? School me, Professor Wesley. Like, we're not necessarily taught how to navigate a relationship. Or how to be emotional, how to be vulnerable, right. how to open up to right. people and not hinge your entire you know, romantic life on a fantasy that's built out of Harlequin novels. Right. A lot of the teaching that gets done are in these cultural properties. You just mentioned Harlequin. Well, we call them bodice rippers. Mm -hmm. You know, there was this whole period for a lot of the 20th century, starting in toward the middle when the movies created movie stars. Mm -hmm. And those people were at the same time making these romantic comedies. These movies that give you a very sort of pure and clean idea of love mm -hmm. that you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you a man and you a woman could get together through any obstacle or over any obstacle and, and be in love. The soap opera comes about during this period. Men and women falling in and out of love, cheating on each other, stabbing each other in the back, mm. killing each other, then coming back to life somehow. <laughs> I don't know, Deirdre, how'd you do it? <laughs> You're just talking about passions. My favorite, <laughs> my favorite soap opera. Passions. Oh, my God. Was passions no, the one no, with the no. leprechaun? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the doll. The, the, the demon. The little doll. The <laughs> so you just had all this culture that was giving you ideas about romance. On TV, right, in the right, afternoons, right. when you should have been at school, <laughs> at the movies, you know, when you go to the supermarket. Don't get me started, because I was obsessed with Us Weekly, obsessed with InStyle and Touch. I mean, even in, like, Teen Vogue, Sassy, Bust, all these other oh magazines. Oh, my God, you're speaking my language. They were, they were obsessed with the cult of this celebrity couple, and I spent— hours as a teenager, I mean, listen, and still do, thinking about <laughs> what's Brangelina up to? Brad and Jen, they just went on a date, apparently. What's going on? I mean, I was obsessed with the movie Cruel Intentions, and I spent so much time thinking about what, it, what life must be like for Reese and Ryan. But Jenna, they're all gone, <laughs> right? The love industrial <laughs> complex as we know it, the things that it grew out of there are no more soap operas, basically. True. As we previously knew them. The movies have changed. Right, right. So we don't have movie stars anymore. So there's virtually no Will and Jada or Brangelina equivalent to put on the covers of these magazines. But the magazines are still there. They still have to fill space. They have to make somebody be on the cover. Well, you know who's on the cover now, though. Besides Harry and Meghan? Besides Harry and Meghan, yeah. I mean, the royal family is always going to be in and out of the tabloids because we just can't help with that obsession. But other than them, it's literally all the E through Z level celebrities <laughs> who, you know, who've been on Big Brother, who've been on The Bachelor, who've been on The Bachelorette. I mean, we are obsessed now with what is going on with reality stars no, and their love lives. I don't know who Chip and Joanna are, but I know every time I go to buy, like, the milk I no longer drink, they're there on the cover. I don't know what's going on with them. Apparently, some weeks it's good, some weeks it's bad. I mean, it's a tale as old as time. What show are they even on again? I don't even know. <laughs> it's so hard to keep up with who these people are, which is why I'm obsessed with this podcast called Who Weekly, because it does go through the ins and outs of who all these people are, because there's literally no other way to keep up. But it's all... These reality stars, all the Kardashians, that's all over the tabloid magazines. And it's not even like just the Kardashian empire anymore. It's Tiny and T.I., what's going on with Farrah and Macy. It's like anyone who's ever been on a reality television show is now 
prime material for this world, for these obsessions that we're having, these fantasies that we're projecting. It even goes deeper than that, though. Okay. So I, as some of y'all know, it's not so secret, I am obsessed with reality dating TV shows. So I don't even really dabble anymore in the mainstays, Bachelor and Bachelorette. No, 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 no. Your girl loves... Bachelor in Paradise, which is all the rejects from those shows <laughs> who are brought together to live in a house. I'm obsessed with X on the Beach, which is a similar type of show. These where, are outlet malls based on original yes, products. <laughs> yes, and I can't get enough. But my all-time favorite of all of these bastard spawns is a little show called Are You the One? Oh, yeah. Okay. And you know what? Whenever I say that, people LOL. But... I'm here to tell you, don't be so quick to vote these shows off the island, if you know what I'm saying. I'm Jenna Wortham. I'm Wesley Morris. We're two culture writers at the New York Times. This is Still Processing. There's something undefinable that beckons travelers back to the greater Fort Myers area in southwest Florida, year after year. It feels like bare feet on soft white sand beaches that give way to gently lapping waves. It looks like the breathtaking abundance of wildlife, colorful birds, dolphins, manatees, and more, dwelling in lush mangrove ecosystems and translucent gulf waters. It tastes like fresh coastal cuisine served at sunset at a waterfront restaurant. What will draw you back to Fort Myers? Go to visitfortmyers.com for more inspiration. My name is Thomas Gibbonsneff. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, field roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, checking with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. I'm going to level with you about something. Mm. I do not watch as much reality dating TV as you do. Few people do. And I actually just kind of avoid it. But I did watch Are You the One? <laughs> I watched all of the eighth season. And you know why you're here. Because you all what? Yes, you really do. Here's how the show works. A bunch of people are matched up in a house. Right. Paired by a secret algorithm, Dr. Evil Voice. We put you all through a very extensive matchmaking process. Psychologists, relationship experts, interviews with your friends, your family, and your exes. And by the way, some of y'all should not have let us speak to your exes. So usually, the show is all heteronormative people. There's 10 men, 10 women. They have to figure out who their match is in order to win a million dollars. That's normally how the show works. Now, this season... For the first time in Are You The One history, any one of the 15 people standing next to you 
could be your perfect match. I love it. Amazing. <laughs> Everyone in this house is attracted to all gender identities. I'm looking for true love no matter what package it comes in. So now I am watching Are You The One. <laughs> You're welcome. Actually, thank you. Thank you. It's a weird show. It's like the real world went on a date with Big Brother. <laughs> they had a baby. And that baby wound up dating The Bachelor <laughs> and met Survivor, <laughs> thought about it, but was like, nah, I'm going to go out with Amazing Race. I got that. And they had a baby. And that baby is called Are You The One? Thank you for that beautific family tree. Are You The One is a show that's been on MTV for about five years. We're in the eighth season. The show takes place over a couple months, and they're just going on dates, they're finding each other, they're flirting. Sometimes they take trips into the Boom Boom Room, if you know what I mean. It is actually called the, the Boom Boom, boom room. room. Everyone on the show is considered sexually fluid. So they identify as bisexual or pansexual. And I don't know what's crazier, whether these people think they can find love this way or that we get to watch them fumble through it. But I'm dying to know what you thought. Oh, man. I had the same experience watching this show that the people on this show are having with each other. Say more. You get there and initially you're kind of like, well, why am I here? Did I make the right choice? That person seems attractive. This person seems obnoxious. And then by episode three, I'm like, yeah, I would have sex with all of you people too. Duh. Oh my God. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the people on this show are trying to figure themselves out. They are trying to figure out who they are mm. and, like, what it means to be if you're a guy whose self-description in Max is, I'm straight in Ohio, but I'm bisexual in L.A. I know. Like, not anymore, my friend. <laughs> you're going on national television to tell everybody that you're openly bisexual now. I mean, at this point, reality television is such a staple of our culture that— that is an acceptable way to come out. And it is like an acceptable rite of passage to be on a show as a means of self-discovery. Maybe in the past you'd have gone on a road trip. Right, right. Maybe in the past you'd have done a semester abroad. No, these days you go on an MTV reality show. <laughs> I mean, when people introduce themselves, it's different from something like on The Bachelor, right? Where right. it's like, I'm Wes and... I'm in my 30s, even though that's not really true, but I look like I am. That's what people tell me. Mostly I dabble in real estate, made a lot of money that way. Um, <laughs> I don't like the term gym rat because I think it's derogatory, but I do enjoy physical fitness. You're super into keto. You're all about that keto paleo lifestyle. Yeah. and. Um, well, this is my ad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and mine would be something like... I'm Jenna. I live in New York City, but deep down, I'm a country girl. I <laughs> love to pick wildflowers and can and play the guitar. Like, I'm really good at it, too. But I'm just, I'm just here to find that special someone who can really, you know, appreciate my inner blossom, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I always say, I'm an energy healer. Let me touch your aura. <laughs> but that's what it's like on The Bachelor. But on Are You the One? Oh, no. This is the B side, which no. is I'm Jenna. <laughs> I'm gay. My triggers are. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this before in my life. It really is like, yeah, I'm bringing a lot of damage to this show. <laughs> I'm possessive. I'm clingy. I'm needy. People are very, you know what? Trauma first. 
baggage first. Right. Damage first. That's the amazing thing about this show. It's incredible. You don't know what anybody does for a living. Right. You don't know how old anybody is. All you know is that everybody's messed up. And what they look like in a bikini. <laughs> and what and that they look great. Like my insides are a mess, but I look really good in this bathing suit. People love to wear thongs and like little t-shirts. <laughs> anyway, there is no best self to lead with. They're being honest about who they actually are when they come to this party. Let's take a quick break and then talk about why this show is actually more than an IRL, Tinder, or field free-for-all. Craft matters in small ways, like how coffee is made or how a wooden table is built piece by piece. And in not-so-small ways, like how your money is cared for. At UBS, we elevate investing to a craft. We deliver our services with passion, expertise, and meticulous attention to detail. This is what investing means to UBS. Not just work, but a craft. Discover more at ubs.com forward slash craft. The value of investments may fall as well as rise, and you may not get back the amount originally invested. My name is Thomas Gibbonsneff. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, field roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, checking with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think, is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. Where is Jenna and Kai, I think, are hitting it off, so we're going to let them do that. One of my favorite moments from this season happens almost immediately. Okay. I think my thing is probably, like, self-introspection and psychoanalyzing myself and others. <laughs> is that healthy? I don't know. Um, um, I do a lot of that as well. Really? So I'm like, okay, cool. You're, like, right. speaking to my brain. I understand the internal torture. Okay, you're right. <laughs> okay, yes. I, you have two characters. Jenna, super witchy, she's definitely spent a lot of time in India doing kundalini yoga. She is witchy and yoga witchy. Yeah, yeah. And Kai who's distant Bieber, kind of look-alike, androgynous, hot, trans-masked person. This version of myself is only, like, as of the last couple years. I lived my entire life as someone else. Yeah. They're having this early chemistry. They're having this emotional conversation out by the pool. They're talking about what they've learned about themselves in therapy. They're bonding. They're not bonding in the way that people tend to bond on these shows. They're not like, oh, my God, you had a cow growing up? I did, too. That's, like, normally what they say. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, okay. They're clearly attracted to each other. They talk about what they've learned about themselves in therapy. They rejoin the group and are partying. Everybody gets a little bit tipsy. Jenna goes off to the communal bedroom to pout. Kai comes in and is like, what's up? Slurring. Because at this point, who knows how many jello shots they've taken. Comes into the bedroom. Jenna's like, 
I don't know. I just see you flirting with all these people. I don't know if you like me. And Kai's like, I'm here now. What are you going to do about it? Jenna knows what, what to do about it. <laughs> they start making she out. sure does. They beeline into the boom boom room. The house goes wild. They're like, our first hookup. <laughs> and everyone's like half naked, listening at the door. And they're all like, ooh. <laughs> that all goes down. Jenna goes to bed. Cue to the next scene. Kai is now outside, laying on an outdoor lounger, talking to your favorite character, my favorite character, the best character of the season, Remy. And Kai's like, I don't know, I'm just attracted to you too. And Remy's like, let's do it. Kai, you just left the boomerang with Jenna, and now you're going with Remy? There's a moment where they cut to Jasmine, who's actually my low-key favorite character, who's from Mississippi and has this incredible rural-ass accent, and she's like, twice within two hours? I was like, this is the most exciting 10 minutes of television I've watched in years? And let me tell you why. Number one, all the sex. Number two, all the sex. And then also, you get this moment in the confessional where Kai, even though I think Kai is a little F-U-C-C boy and a little brat, where Kai is talking about his attraction to men and women and beginning their life identifying just as a lesbian. I was like on testosterone for about like four to five months. And then I got off of it for a couple months. Transitioning and realizing I'm actually bisexual. Yeah. My identity is not like linear, like male to female. And so like, that's me unpacking like how masculine, like do I want to become? And not really being able to admit that they're also attracted to men until they started taking tea and presenting more more masculine and feeling like I can be trans and still queer and have this thing going on with men. And I just, I don't know, it's really, really, really vulnerable because it's not a simple thing. It is complicated and it is nuanced. And that is why it can only exist on a reality television show. You know what I mean? <laughs> I did not see that coming! <laughs> because it's extremely messy. And guess what? Dating is extremely messy. Being queer is extremely messy. Ty's been weighing his own personal gain over the emotions of others. From his relationship with Jasmine, his former relationship with Jenna, and the relationship with Noor. When one doesn't give him what he wants, he just moves on to the next. There's this great moment, too, when the house is just like, you're not being a good person. You are treating people poorly. Like, you are hurting multiple people in this house. And yeah, we want to win the money, but also, you need to grow up. No one is trying to make you feel ashamed. We're not wagging a finger. We're saying that we know who the kind of person you are. I don't like this being put on the spot all the time. I get that. I know that I'm up. I'm trying. And it really, to me, embodies the thing about this season that I think is so compelling and so revelatory and in some ways revolutionary, where... They actually just want Kai to grow. And we all love you and we support you and we believe that you can change. For him, for them, for the health of the household. And that's a rare thing. But. (laughs) What? They also need this person to grow into another person so they can get that money. They can get that money, honey. Because the point of the show is (laughs) Is, that everybody has to have a match. That's right. Kai's not doing his work on himself is hurting the house both not only emotionally, but situationally. That's right. My favorite sad thing about the attempt to sort of intervene 
on his behalf is that he's like, stop it. You guys are hurting me with your truth. Your truth is hurting me. We're just talking to you. Like, you I are. I can't take it. I know. Just so much. I don't want to listen to my behavior being wrong. And the best thing about that entire moment, too, is it really does break down exactly the type of person you should not date. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like Kai becomes an explainer for who to avoid. This is the other thing that I love about this show, which is that you are watching people have these identities, these selves, but you're watching that identity in action, mm. right? It's not like you're watching a show about a trans person wallowing in how hard it is to be trans. You are actually seeing that difficulty function in a kind of society. Of course, because the thing that Kai says that's the most interesting is I have never felt this good in my body. I've never felt more attractive. I've never had this much attention in my life. Everyone in the house is like, we get it. That happened for us, too, when we came out. It's a little different for you because you transitioned. but And had just had top surgery. Just had top surgery and you're feeling yourself and like we get it. But the way you're going about it is not cool. That's the part that's so good. It's like there's no excuse for this behavior. Right. The thing that I do like about this show, you aren't actually in competition with anybody. Mm. You aren't trying to, like, throw a woman over the side of a boat to, like, get a man. You have to work with the other people in this house to figure out a way to win the million dollars, right? Like, if you watch Road Rules, like, they're just a bunch of competitions. You have to be fit. It's not really about, like, whether or not you get along with who you've been partnered with. Right. This show is about talking and communication and openness and honesty and self-awareness and community. And I don't mean community like these are a bunch of gay people talking about their gayness. It also is a bunch of non-white people. Like, I mean, the mix on this show is astounding. You have Arabs. You have white people. You have black people. You have people whose race I'm not even sure I know. I do think that this season of Are You the One could have gone a little bit farther in terms of just the range of people that we interact with. I think they could have had more non-binary folks, more trans folks, maybe some differently bodied folks, you know. But I agree with you. I mean, I've never seen such an incredible array of class, gender, race, background experiences on a really generic type of dating show. Normally, they try to keep that stuff to a minimum. But on this season of the show, it ends up really forming the background for the reasons that people might get along or might not get along. You know, it's people are talking about that they're both from the Midwest and can draw on that background or being from small towns versus big towns or being out from the time they were in grade school versus coming out now as someone in their 20s and how those factors will impact whether or not they get along and can actually date. And I just, I found that to be incredibly satisfying because you end up having a front row seat as a viewer to conversations about the ways in which we're socialized Mm -hmm. sexually, the ways in which we're socialized romantically, things that people have to unlearn in order to actually figure out who they are beyond just the really basic entry point that tends to happen on reality dating shows where people say, I'm here to discover myself, but then they just drink a bunch of margaritas and fall asleep (laughs) on the beach and get a sunburn. They actually are figuring out stuff about themselves. And I don't want to give the impression that this show ends with some sort of Saved by the Bell type rainbow, you know, Pat Bow ending. No, 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 no. The drama is meshe, and it continues on Twitter to this day, which I am living for. So I'm not trying to say that this particular group of individuals have figured it out more than anybody else, 
but they're more in tune with their trauma and their drama and their childhood imprinting and they can talk about it in a much more direct way which just feels honest and it feels interesting and you're actually getting kind of a textbook analysis of why people are the way they are and why we end up in the relationships that we do you know you've got two people like Jonathan, who is a, I don't even know how to describe Jonathan. Jonathan. People do tell me that I'm beautiful and very striking and beautiful eyes and crazy hair and like they love it. But I do have a hard time like picking up people because I don't really believe those things about myself. So I think I may lack in the confidence department just a little bit. And that does sometimes put me in positions to be a little bit reserved, maybe shy. Jonathan is extremely attractive, with this wet and wavy, flowing hair from rural Florida, you know, would have on a flower crown if they could. Right, yes. And he is trying to figure out what he's attracted to, and the person who's most into him is a character named Basit. Beautiful, beautiful Basit. Based on my dating past, I can't really, like, mess with, like, that hyper-masculine idea anymore. I need someone who is completely comfortable with me being me. And Basit is a black gender non-binary person who is extremely fashionably flamboyant. If I can't wear my glitter purple blanket skirt, like, you know what I mean? I, then, then I'm not being me. And lots of makeup, lots of fitted, bright fabrics mm, that mm, spangle mm, and mm. sparkle and shimmer. Mm. They are really into Jonathan. Mm. Like, a lot. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan's like... Back home, when getting to know someone like Basit, who is non-binary, I would never, ever make a move to take it to the next level. It's just, like, never, like, aroused me in, like, a sexual way. You never hear people talk about femphobia, and you never hear it in the way that Jonathan brings it up. And it's interesting because Basit is so invested in Jonathan. Really that, invested! That they end up kind of you know, unpacking all of Jonathan's weird hangups that Jonathan isn't even aware of. And Jonathan even says, I don't come from like an area that's like, has a huge like queer LGBTQ scene, but I came in the house wanting to learn. And to be fair, like Basit is very invested in helping Jonathan do the emotional labor of seeing their hangups, you know, so that they can actually become a couple. It is actually Basit saying to Jonathan, you need to look inside yourself mm. because I feel like you're building a lot of walls mm -hmm. and you are keeping me out because mm. you don't want to admit that your feelings... There's something here. There's something here. There's something here. You can't oh, deny it. You can't deny it, yes. baby. Yes. We drive each other crazy. crazy. Yeah. Also, Basit is actually the real MVP mm -hmm. of this season. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. all the observations about how messy the house is, Basit keeps being like, this drama is messier than the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> So good. But Jenna, I got to ask you, because you watch a lot of these shows, are people talking this openly and honestly about who they are and what they want and what they're attracted to on other shows? No. I mean, I've been really impressed um, in recent seasons of Bachelor in Paradise and Ex on the Beach where people do dive in a little bit and they get a little bit open and a little bit vulnerable and talk about their fears and their hesitations and what they really want. But because those shows are really based around this heteronormative paradigm where the only goal and the only purpose of dating and romance and being on these shows in the first place is hopefully to to get married, right? Right. There is still so much obfuscation of 
whatever they think might scare that other person away. Mm -hmm. So there's still so many moments where in a confessional, you know, a straight woman might be like, I'm falling for him, but I'm afraid to say it or he can never know. And you're like, just tell him, you know, (laughs) you know, whereas like on Are You The One, it's part of their story. But the thing that's wild to me and consistent through every season of the show is how everyone has this blind and unwavering faith in the algorithm. There are so many tearful moments where someone's like, but the matchmakers told me my true love is here. And it's like, huh? I'm sorry. What? And I think that's actually the more disturbing part of the show to me. It's that that there's just this faith in some mythical software to organize their lives. But I guess it makes sense when you actually think about how much faith we all put into these tools and apps and softwares to organize our lives. I don't know. It's depressing, though. No, that's the realest thing in the show, because I don't know about you, but the couple that I believed in the most because they seemed to believe in themselves the most was Max and Justin. And we were attracted to each other from the start. Like, I would like to think that maybe they knew that what you needed was me. And... What I needed was you. I hope. So, <laughs> Max. I mean, Ma- yeah, Max definitely talked Justin into thinking that they were they were. A oh, match. you didn't believe it? No, I didn't believe so it. So, Max is a white guy from Ohio who apparently lives in L.A. and is bisexual and is working through his attraction to men, perhaps for the first serious time in his life. He's never had a relationship with a man. That's right. That's right. And Justin is, I don't know what race Justin is. He's just very handsome. Very beautiful. Very sweet. Open, vulnerable. (laughs) Has a lot going on. 150% bisexual. No (laughs) questions. No, He has no questions about that. Also, a shout out to the show for really showing us real deal bisexuality because the myth about bisexuals is that either they're waiting to just declare one one or the other or they're gross and just like greedy and like want to get with everybody yada 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 it is so refreshing to actually see true bisexuals in the wild thank you mtv for that one we appreciate it so i believed in max and justin but the gods of the show say no you are (laughs) you are not a match you you can't be together and max is devastated max is like I just did all this work falling in love with a man, and now I got to undo all that work? Right. And Justin's like, yeah, dude, that's how the game's played. (laughs) Justin moves on real quick. (laughs) Catch you at the gym. (laughs) But I think that there's something about the trauma that we talked about, Mm. right? The ways in which these people are trying to do this work to heal themselves Mm. among other people who are as damaged and as hurt, but also who are as willing to do that work to heal themselves or to get closer to healing themselves as they possibly can. So there's the trauma, but there's also this question of virtue, Mm -hmm. which is just really fascinating to me. I mean, normally, in my experience watching these shows— Virtue is basically a code word for virgin. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. virtuousness is really another way of saying chastity. Right, right. And there are all kinds of ways to practice virtue and to be virtuous. And it isn't just like by not having any sex. I guess it's a virtue, but it's one that's highly overrated. Sexual attraction is, is an important part of any healthy relationship. This is a show where everybody can, in theory, have sex with everybody else. God, my dream. But <laughs> Put me on the next season. Jesus. Seriously. I mean, I, I do like that amid all this 
permission to be as free as you can be. Can be. There eventually are guardrails that get put up, not by the show, because the show has no rules. The contestants put up the guardrails. It's the contestants who are talking about behavior and right and wrong. And what I like about this person is that they are fundamentally good. Mm. What I like about this person is that I trust and believe them. What I like about this person is they're not trying to hurt me. Exactly. I mean, and Jenna, you kind of really got at this in a piece that you wrote for the New York Times Magazine (laughs) about the show. And what you wrote is, My theory is that queer people tend to be more acquainted with unpacking trauma, family dynamics, and identities and orientations in their own lives, often as a means of survival. So perhaps that's why these contestants are able to do it so naturally on the screen. What's left is a social experiment that, unlike an overwhelming majority of reality TV, doesn't leave you feeling hopeless about the future of humanity. Instead, It's weird and complicated and intriguing, sort of like how it feels to date in real life. I obviously can't overgeneralize or speak for all queer people, but I do think that part of the reason the conversations on this season of Are You The One are so dynamic and forthcoming is because so many of the people on the show have done a lot of this work in their own lives before they've ever even thought about stepping onto the set of a reality television show. I think a lot about someone like Noor who was married to a man to please her Arab family and then gets divorced, or Jasmine, who's a character who talks about being the only person out in her school in rural Mississippi growing up, and she's a black woman, and what that experience was like. And they're still both in their early 20s. And so just by virtue of having those experiences, they're way more familiar with internal dialogue than I think even people in their late 30s. I do think there's something about having a queer orientation that pushes you to look at yourself and understand yourself, not always, but a lot of the time before you ever even start dealing with someone else's drama. So I think that's why these conversations feel more nuanced and they feel more elevated than any of the stuff we normally see on TV. Right. You know, I don't want to deny the ways in which queer identity is starting to become more normalized in reality TV dating shows. But there's nothing like this season of Are You The One. Right. Because I actually think that what you really want to see in culture is some version of the thing that you want to see in real life. Yes. Which is that there's hope. Oh right? It, it sounds so corny, but no. you really want to see in scripted work or a show where the producers are basically manipulating people to get together is the possibility that people can get together. Mm. You know, I thoroughly enjoyed all of the years of watching Brad and Angie and their beautiful horde of children fly around the world and live these glamorous lives and, you know, think about what it might be like to live that kind of lifestyle. Those were great years. I miss them dearly. But now I'm ready to be really rooted in reality. (laughs) Say what you want about reality TV shows. Say what you want about me being obsessed with trashy reality dating TV shows. But I just think it's going to be much healthier to look at this show. We're getting a sense of what it means to put sweat equity into a relationship. Yep. And at the end of the day, seeing that emotional labor, that work on Are You The One is way more eye-opening than trying to project myself. On to Brangelina. (laughs) 
still processing as a product of the New York Times. It is produced by Nina Patek. Our editors are Sasha Weiss, Wendy Dore, Sarah Saracen, and Lisa Tobin. Our engineer is Jake Gorski. And our theme music's by Kindness. It's called World Restart from the album Otherness. You can find all of our episodes and various things at nytimes.com forward slash still processing. And listen, Apple Podcasts, <laughs> leave us a review. We really appreciate it. Please.